I, I, it's, it holds a dear place in my heart. It's the reason that I, one of the reasons that I even live here now. And so um, please, I encourage you, consider going, consider being a part of that. It's a great place. Um, okay, so Romans chapter 6. So Matt was making fun of me because I was going too slow. So now we're just going to do a lot, right? Um, we're going we're gonna to cover the rest of the chapter this morning. Um, and it is a lot, but really there is kind of one main theme. Right? Paul is, I mean, he is sort of asking a similar question that he asked earlier in the chapter, but from a different angle. Um, and so it's just, it's, it's really helpful to know that Paul has this really, uh, he has a really unified message going into this chapter. Um, but I want to start with something, and this is something that I think probably all of us struggle with. And it's this idea of compartmentalizing our lives. Right? You go to work and you have a one mindset, but then when you go home, you have a different mindset, which in that instance can be very healthy, especially if it depends on what you do. Um, so just talking about my dad, my dad was a police officer for his whole, you know, 35 years. My dad never brought that kind of like weird, you know, violence and stuff into our home. He was able to separate that, right? It's a good thing to be able to recognize that there are certain parts of your life you, you act in this way, and there are certain parts where you need to act in this way, and there are different things. And in fact, I remember even as a kid, because my mom was a teacher, and my dad regularly would be like, stop talking to me like I'm a fourth grader, right? She would have a hard time. She would come home with the sort of fourth grade, this is how I speak to the kids, and um, she would let that slip on my dad sometimes. But anyway, so there is a level of this that is healthy, and then there's a level of this that is dangerous, right? Because here's the thing. If we come into church and we have a certain mindset, and then we go home and we go into the world and we go to work, and we have a completely opposite mindset of what we have here, reading the Bible, singing praises to the Lord, then we have missed something very, very important. And so what Paul is going to say to us this morning, I think the main message is that our entire lives are either in slavery to sin, or in slavery to obedience to God. There's no sort of middle ground. It's you're, you're in one camp or the other. And, it's, and it encompasses every single thing that you do. Now, it doesn't mean that when you... Let, let's say, for example, men, you're out front, you're trying to build a deck on the front of your house, and you're trying to remember the, right, you're trying to remember the measurements off of your tape measure. You shouldn't try and mix that with trying to remember Scripture references, right? You're like... Okay, so it was 7 and 5 eighths, and I'm trying to remember Romans 6, 12, and then you get all the numbers confused and jumbled. I don't think that's what Paul is saying. I don't think that every moment of every day is trying to dwell upon Scripture, but everything that you do should bring glory to God. And so in this example, right, God told us to tend the garden, right? He told us, and this is, this is a command that goes far beyond just, like, pulling weeds, but take things that are chaotic and make them orderly, right? You take a stack of lumber, and you make it orderly, and you build a deck, and this brings God glory, unless you make the wrong measurement, and then you get out there, and you're cursing and throwing tools and getting mad. Like, there is a way to do it that honors the Lord, and there's a way to do it that doesn't. And so God is calling us in everything that we do, whether it be sitting in worship and, and really honing in and focusing on God's word, or whether it is you're going out during the week, or whether it is you're, you're, you're doing the things that you enjoy leisurely, like you're going fishing. You don't have to have the Bible in, in earphones while you're fishing in order to be serving God while you fish, right? You can fish and just enjoy nature. But everything that we do, we are called to be serving the Lord. And I think that that is the message that we're going to see this morning in these 12 or Seven verses, whatever it is, 12, I, I didn't count them. Um, however many it is, right, 15 through the end here. 
Um, this is what we're going to see. So, verse 15, he asks a similar question that he did back in verse 1, but he comes at it from a different angle, right? What does he say? So what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? So remember back a few weeks, at the beginning of chapter 6, he says, excuse me, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Now you might think um, this is the same question, or this is, like, why is he asking this? Why is he doing this? Why is he coming at this basically the same question and wording it just slightly different? Can we sin because we are now under grace and not under the law? You see, before he addresses this sinful desire in us that, well, if, if every time we sin, then there's more and more grace. We should sin so that there is more grace, right? That's the logical, that's, I mean, that's broken logic, but sometimes we're tempted to think that way. And, God, and Paul says, no, look, you can't do that. That's not what he's trying to say. And then he said in verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. And then he says, and now I know what you're thinking next. Well... If I'm not under the law, why do I have to obey it? What's the point? Why would I try and obey a law that I'm not under? If grace is covering all of my sins, what's the point? You see, we try to find every angle in which to find a loophole. Why? Because as I, we've been talking about this for weeks now, we are being called to fight our sin tooth and nail, never give up no matter how long it takes. When you are tempted, you fight and you fight and you fight and you fight and you don't quit. And the Lord will deliver you. And it may be 10 minutes and it may be all day and it may be months and it may be years and it may be your entire life that you fight this temptation in your life. But God is calling you to never give up. And that is hard. And we don't want to do that. We would rather say, oh, look, I found a loophole. I don't actually have to do that anymore. I don't need to fight my sin because, look, I'm under grace. I'm, I'm not under the law. It doesn't matter. I, God is going to forgive me, and so I'm just going to keep on doing whatever I want to do, and it will be fine. Paul knows that this sin, this lie, ekes into our lives, that Satan is whispering that in your ear all the time. It's okay. It, I don't know if, you, if you've ever noticed this, but this is how Satan operates. What he does is during the temptation, he says to you, it'll be fine. God loves you. He'll forgive you. Just give in. It's not a big deal. You've done it a thousand times before. What's one more? Doesn't matter. Just it's not a big deal. God loves you, and it will be fine, and just do it. And then if you do, and you give in, he immediately changes his story, right? And then he says, how could you? You are a worthless, pathetic human being. God could never love you. Don't you know what you just did? And this is how Satan operates, right? He just comes at us and he will take every shot that he can. Don't let his lie seep into your life. You, we cannot give in. We have to fight. And so in some sense, the reason that Paul is asking a very similar question from a very different angle is that we are kind of like children, if you have small children in your house, you know that you can't just say, go take a bath. Go in the bathroom, take off all your clothes, turn on the water, you have to use soap, you have to rub it everywhere, and then when you get out, you have to use the towel, and then you have to get dressed. Like You can't just give them a simple command every step along the way, right? If you don't give them all the steps, they'll just stand in the tub with the water off like, I, I got in the bath, that's what you said to do, right? We, we understand that that's how it works with young children. 
And this is sometimes how God has to treat us, right? Because if he doesn't uncover every rock, if he doesn't, if he doesn't nix every single possibility that we can find or think of to not have to fight against our sin, then we would do it, right? If Paul didn't answer this question, if he didn't ask and answer this, we would think, oh, yeah. If he had just said verse 14 and moved on to a completely new idea, we would be tempted to be like, oh, well, I'm not under law. I'm under grace. I can do whatever I want. But he says, of course, this is not true. By no means should we do this. And then he gives an argument in these next couple of verses. He says, we are either slaves to sin or we are slaves to obedience. Now, it seems like a little bit of odd language to use this term. But in light of what we just read, it actually makes a decent amount of sense. You see, because we have freedom. Right? What verse 14 is, is this, there's a, there is a, a level of freedom that is opened up to all of us. And it's wonderful and it's glorious. And we say, look, <coughs> there's all of these laws in the Old Testament. And it used to be that the idea was that you had to follow those perfectly if you were going to be righteous in the eyes of God. That, is, that weighs people down to the point where it's impossible. Right? Nobody is able to do that. And so when we have this verse and we have freedom, like, oh man, I am free to do whatever because now I'm under grace, I'm not under the law. And Paul immediately then uses this language of bondage. You are either presenting your members, you are either slaves to your sin or you are slaves to God. Now we've discussed this. He, I mean, he's discussed this, right, in this chapter multiple times. This idea that we have been saved by grace by the Holy Spirit living in us, and that we are able now to be obedient. But we have to make a choice. You don't automatically, the sanctification doesn't automatically happen in your life just because you have faith in God. You have to put forth an effort. Before you were saved, there was no way. Everything you did was sinful. Now that you have been saved, something new is happening. You're a new creation. You have the Holy Spirit. You have been awakened to what is true. You have the ability to make this choice. Now, I think the important thing to see here is that this is one or the other. This is very, very, very simple language, right? Paul doesn't say you can be half in one camp and half in the other. You are either a slave to your sin or you are a slave to obedience to God. Now, what's really interesting is that when our faith is true and genuine, The slavery to obedience to God is a guaranteed thing. Even when you fail, it's not as if you lose your justification. It's not as if you immediately then return back to being a sinner who needs to be saved and baptized again. No, we are guaranteed that this will be the case. It's not, it doesn't happen 100% of the time, but as our new identity in our new creation, we are guaranteed to be obedient to God. Once again, it's not perfect, we talked about this, the already and the not yet. Like, God has declared us justified, but we, the full justification doesn't happen until glory, right? Until the new creation, until we're in heaven. And so this idea that we are striving towards something, and yet God is guaranteeing it to us when we try and when we strive, it's a little bit confusing, right? But this is who we are. We are now slaves to the obedience of God. That is what he is calling us to. That is who he has declared us to be. So as a Christian, we will be 
slaves to obedience. Now, once again, it doesn't mean that we're sinless, right? It means that we fight. And I'm sure you're tired of hearing that, right? We've, we've talked about it for, I think, a month now. But this is what Paul, I mean, if we didn't need to hear that over and over and over again, I wouldn't bring it up over and over. But I don't know about you, but like I need to hear that every single morning. Today is a day that you are going to fight your sin. If I don't use that kind of language in my own mind and my, and my own psyche, like I just, it's my guard has been let down. If I'm not ready to fight, like Satan's going to come up behind me and hit me. If I'm not ready and on guard all of the time, I have to be reminded of this regularly. This means we are striving towards obedience. And when we fail, what do we do? We don't say, ah, it's not a big deal. God's fine. He doesn't, it doesn't really matter. He doesn't really care. Maybe he didn't see it. No. When we sin, allow the guilt to land, right? Allow it to hit you. Feel the shame that, is, that goes along with sin and then immediately repent. And God will forgive you and he will remove those things. And I think most of us, this is true for so many things. Most of us fall on one side or the other. We either, we either let the guilt linger too long We let the shame weigh us down far too long, knowing that Christ will take it. Or we just don't even feel it at all. We sin and we say, ah, no big deal. I'll move on with my life. God, we're good, right? And we don't even even confess. We're not even willing to name the thing we just did. we got to find a happy medium, right? We need to confess those sins and yet at the same time not allow the guilt to weigh us down. So I have something to say then about this, Um, and that is that if you're here this morning and there's sin in your life and you know it's sin, you know it's disobedience to God, and you are okay with it, you don't feel guilt, you don't feel shame, you're not trying to fix it, you see it in the Bible, yep, God tells me not to do that, but I'm going to do it anyway. I don't care. I don't care what God's truth is. My truth is higher than his. I still, I still claim that I believe in Jesus, but there are sins in my life, and I have no desire to get rid of them. I'm not trying. I will not get rid of them. If that is your attitude this morning, I'm challenging you. Paul, what Paul is telling you here is that you can't, you can't do that and also be obedient slave to God. Though That doesn't exist. You can't be an obedient slave to your sin and look at it and say, yep, God says it's bad, but I say it's good and I'm going to do it no matter what. I don't feel bad. No repentance, no confession. I don't care what God says. I'm going to do it. You are a slave to your sin. Now, I don't don't lightly try and put, I'm not trying to put doubt where it doesn't belong. But if that is you this morning, you need to doubt whether you believe in Jesus or not. There is no middle ground. You either are a slave to your sin or you are a slave to God in obedience. Nobody can answer that question but you. We each need to internally look at our heart and say, is there anything in my life that I know to be sin and I'm just okay with it? And I don't fight it and I don't care. If that's true... Fall to your knees today and repent. Confess those sins. Ask God to give you a desire to fight and to not love that thing, to not be a slave to it, to not be obedient to it. Second thing Paul tells us here, verse 17, he tells us that we should be thankful for this. 
How many of you hear that kind of language and feel overjoyed that God has put you enslaved to his law and to being obedient to him? I think part of it is the word, right? We don't like that word. We have, we, I mean, we can't just ignore the fact that we live in a country that has a really sinful and broken and backwards history when it comes to slavery, when it comes to this word. It's important to recognize that there's a difference, right? It's important to recognize that the Bible actually condemns what we understand in American history as slavery. And if you don't understand that, if you've never known that, there's a really simple verse. Flip over to 1 Timothy 1, verse 10. Now, this is not the only place. We don't have time to look at all of the different places where God condemns what we understand as slavery, but let's just look at this one verse really quickly. So he's listing off sins that are abhorrent to God. He says that these sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Enslavers. That means somebody who steals a person and sells them into slavery against their will. God condemns this activity. God condemns slavery as we know it in our, in our history, right? Slavery in the Bible is somebody, let's, let's say somebody owes you money, right? Nowadays, somebody owes a bunch of money and they can't pay it. They're like Michael Scott, right? I declare bankruptcy. We just, we just can get rid of it, right? It can, just, we, it can disappear. You file some paperwork. All your debt is gone. There's some consequences to that. That didn't exist. Somebody owes you money. They either pay you, go to jail, or they can become your servant, Right? They would be indebted to you for however long until, you, until they pay off everything that they owe. That's slavery. That's what the Bible is talking about. Somebody who willingly puts themselves in submission to another person to pay off a debt. Now, it's not a one-for-one -one translation, right? Because we're not enslaving ourselves to God so that we can pay off a debt. Jesus did it for us. We're enslaving ourselves to God because he is the perfect master. Because everything that he tells us to do in that slavery, in that bondage, is perfect and beautiful. And it will bring about more fulfillment. It will bring about more joy in your life. So if the word is what's bothering you, don't let it. It's something different completely. And we could go on and on. I mean, I, I'm sure that when you're, when you're wanting to feel inspired, you don't tend to, like, open to the book of Leviticus, um, it's hard. It's hard to read that and like make sense of it and to read it and think, how does this apply to me? But over and over and over again, God gives his, his justice. And over and over and over again, he talks about slaves. When people enslave themselves to you, you're not allowed to abuse them. You're not allowed to overwork them. You're not allowed to keep food from them, the, the things that we understand. God condemns all of that. He says that is not what it means to be a follower of Christ. Right? We don't do that. To people, We don't treat anybody that way, no matter who they are. <clears throat> and so the point that he is trying to make, and we get past this word and all the connotations, is that we are indeed slaves to God, and we should be thankful for that. And that one's tough for me. I don't know about for you, but I think, man... Uh, yeah, I recognize that before Jesus, I was enslaved to my sin, and I was in this 
jail cell and whatever. And you can think about it however you want. But I was completely bound by my sin. And then God frees me from that and releases me from that. And instead of just saying, all right, go figure it out. Like, go do whatever you want now. You're under grace. You can just do anything. He enslaves me to himself. And at first it seems like, oh, I had freedom for a second, but then it was taken back away from me. But in reality, being enslaved to God is the most freeing thing that he could do. Because here's the thing, even with Christ, even with the Holy Spirit, if you were just allowed to run free, no Bible, no nothing, no no guidance, do you think that you would be doing what God wanted you to do? Just under your own steam, under your own thinking through, like, ah, this seems like the right thing to do here. We still need that guidance. Even with the Holy Spirit, we still need the Bible. We still need God's law in order to to constrain us, to help us to be obedient. And then he gives us, in these last three verses here, we see that these are the consequences for each of the different... So, once again, there's two choices. You're a slave to your sin, you're a slave to God. What are the consequences if you choose one over the other? The first thing he says is, quite oddly, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So he almost makes it sound like a positive. Because it's, I mean, let's be honest. It is far easier to live in sin than it is to try and be obedient to the Lord. When you live in sin, you just do whatever you want all the time. That's, that's much, much easier. To live in righteousness is difficult. And so it sounds like a positive, but we know that it's not. It's kind of like saying, if you're in jail, you're free from having to pay your own rent and pay your own food. Right? Is, that, is that really a benefit? No, of course not. You see, if we were still in our sin, we would be free from guilt. We would be free from shame. We could do whatever we want with the time that we have. But the problem is, is that life outside of God leads to destruction. It leads to death. It leads to a life that is less joyful, less fulfilled. It's not just about what's going to happen after you die. It's about right now. When you live, when you fall into that pit of living completely for yourself, completely selfishly, forget about all the other people around you, at the end of that, you don't feel good about yourself. You recognize this was not a good thing. This was, however long a stint it was, you, re- you recognize I should have been caring about the people around me. I should have cared about what they thought. Right? We, we know we fall into sin and it looks good and, we, and it's tempting, but on the other side of it, we know better. We know that it wasn't good for us. We know that it was destructive to us. Now what's really wonderful here is that Paul doesn't just give us a doctrine and expect us to follow it blindly you see he gives us these reasons why he is saying this is true this is one of the many 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 things that i cherish about god and about the bible she's i've read lots of other religious texts from other from other religions and other cults and different things i mean a big part of my family is a part of jehovah's witness which is a cult right i've read a lot of that my grandmother used to give it to me all the time when i was a kid and i would read this stuff and i and so i've done i've done a decent amount of study in in a lot of this and it just is like it's like hard to even understand like there's weird commands and there's no reason and there's little to no logic when i read these other books and then when i read the bible i read a command and then i see that god tells me and this is why i want you to do it 
and it makes sense. Paul tells us that we can't just keep on sinning, and he tells us why. And this is, I don't know if you're, but this is huge, because does God owe you an explanation for the commands that he gives you? Of course not. If the Bible was just a list of things to do and to not to do, we should still obey them 100%, even if we have no reason, even if God doesn't explain himself. He can just say, don't do that. Once again, you think about how you interact with your kids or how you did when your kids were at the, in the house when they're young. There are certain things that I explain to my children, but when my child is running out into the road and a dump truck is coming, I don't have time to explain to him why I'm yelling at him to stop. Just, just stop, right? We don't, this is how God treats us. There are certain things where he just says, just stop doing it. He doesn't explain himself, but most of the time he does, and that's a kindness for us. Because it's much harder for us to obey a command when we don't know why we're obeying it. And so he gives us a law, he gives us a command, and he explains why. He explains to us, or he, well, he, he asks the questions. Verse 21, what fruit were you getting at the time from the things that you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Paul doesn't just say, look, stop sinning. Stop being an obedient slave to your sin. I'm not going to tell you. But because that will lead you to death. That is not going to do you any favors. It is going to make your life now worse. It's going to make the afterlife much, much worse. And the beautiful ending of this chapter is that the opposite is also true verse 22 now that you have been set free from sin and you have become slaves of god the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life why follow jesus why not take the easy road? Why not take the wide path? Why are we walking this narrow path that's extremely difficult when there's this huge, wide, flat, even path over here that we could take so much easier? Look at it. There's no, there's no trouble on it. It doesn't seem like. Why are we doing this? Because that path leads you to death, and the narrow path of Christ leads you to life everlasting. Amen. Hallelujah. Right? This is the reason in which we follow Jesus. If you're ever wondering, why is it that, that life is so hard? Because the fruit at the end of it, and even the fruit today, is so much greater than what you would get if you went down that easy, wide, stupid path that we don't ever want to be on ever again. We want to be on the narrow path. We want it to be hard because we know in those moments we are following after Christ. We have given all of our sin and it has been laid on Jesus. We don't feel that guilt and that shame for it anymore. The Lord removes that from us. You see, we know the results of this firsthand. We know what it's like. We remember, I'm sure all of us can remember what it was like before we were following Jesus. And now we're on a path of righteousness and of joy and fulfillment. Last verse, I'm sure most of you memorized this one at some point in your life, right? 
you've been reading your Bible for very long, it's part of what many call the Roman road. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is a summary of everything he has just told us. He's able to boil it down into this one sentence. There's a good reason why we remember this statement, right? This is chapter 6. It's right in front of you. Here it is in one short sentence that is easy to swallow, easy to remember, easy to memorize, and that we can tell this to people because this is what is true. There's only two possible things that can happen. You can either be in your sin and be in death, or you can have eternal life with Christ Jesus, our Lord. I'm sure you've heard this, but remember what's happening here. There's a contrast to these two, right? To these two halves of the verse. Our sin, it is paying us dividends, right? The wages of our sin, it's what we earn by our sin. Death is what we earn. It's not that God is looking down and being like, I'm going to smite this one, even though he doesn't deserve it. No, every single human being who has ever walked the planet other than Jesus Christ himself deserves to die because of our sin. It's a simple truth. It's what we all deserve. We all deserve to go to hell and spend eternity there. That is the wages of the sins that each one of you has committed. The wages of my sin should lead me to my death and destruction and hell eternally. But praise be to God. Through his grace, right? The free gift of God is that we can be saved through the work of Jesus. Not by anything we did. You see, it's not wages anymore. It's a free gift from the Lord because of the work of Christ. If you're here this morning and that's, you've never understood, you, don't under, you, you think that you were having to do all of this stuff, you're, that your good wages were somehow going to earn you into heaven, and as long as those outweighed the bad wages of your sin, then maybe that's how you were going to get there. It's not true. The truth is that it is a free gift of God. It is grace, it is faith that God gives to us as a gift, and that is how we are saved. If you're here this morning and you never knew that, you don't understand that, I implore you. Repent of your sins. Ask God to forgive you and he will. It is a free gift. He doesn't care all of the things you've done in your past. He can forgive anything and everything that you have ever done. There is nothing that can get outside of his forgiveness. The Lord's arm is not too short to save. He can reach out and grab you and pull him to yourself no matter what sins you have committed. It is a free gift. It's not about what you have done. It's about what Jesus did and accomplished on the cross. He took the wrath for your sin and for mine. It has been accomplished for everyone who believes in him. That is the gospel. And so I ask you this morning, where are you? Where are you allowing yourself to be led? What choice have you made? Are you a slave to your sin, or are you a slave to the obedience of God? Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we are so grateful that you have given this free gift of grace. Lord, there's nothing within ourselves that gives us the ability or the right or the privilege to stand in your presence other than the work of Jesus. He is our intercessor. He is the one who speaks up for us when we, when we come before you with all of our brokenness and our sin, the evil